1: Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I thank you for joining us with me in the studio today. I'm especially excited, as you can imagine, because I am joined by the very excellent Alison Rudd and, making the long, long trip from somewhere in East Anglia, it's James Scowcroft. Uh, Later on, we're going to be joined by our friend from north of the border, Mr. Graham Spears, who we'll be talking a little Scotland and a bit of Tartan Army, who did not qualify, but I thought looked to be a little bit on an uptick. But of course, first, we need to talk about the team that did qualify for the World Cup. They wear the three lions on their shirt. They changed their badge a few years ago. and One of the lions looks a little bit camp to me, Uh, but that simply adds to the allure. So joining us now is uh, Henry Winter, who uh, I believe has uh, just returned from, uh, from Lithuania following uh, uh, that 1-0 victory. Henry, obviously, with, with England already qualified, I'm guessing that uh, certainly the impression was that Garrett Southgate treated this as an opportunity to, to try some new players and, and a new system. How do you feel about that?
2: I think it makes sense to play the new system. And I think uh, we're going to see that uh, uh, increasingly over the, the six friendlies. And then, uh, well, at least they guarantee three games out at the World Cup next summer. So I think we're going to see it probably for the next nine games. Um, the 3-4-3. Three, three. My, my slight surprise when he did it last night was not that he was going to do it. Because you think when Southgate played some of his best football with England, it was with a three with Hoddle. And ninety eight and all that. So that's not the huge surprise. It slightly surprised me that he played Trippier and Cresswell last night because are they going to go to the uh, World Cup? They're probably third choice at the moment if you look at Klein and, and Walker on the uh, on the right and Bertrand and Rose on the left. So that slightly surprised me. I thought Walker, if you're going to do it, play Walker in that system. I was slightly surprised to see Deli Alley wide in a in a three. I'm not sure that really suits. Him. I think it's better sort of breaking forward from a sort of central platform. Um, and have England got six centre halves to take to the to the World Cup? If you if you're going to have sort of two for each position, so uh, it was definitely worth trying, but um, not quite sure that the personnel necessarily suited it.
1: If you, I mean, I completely take your point about Del Ali uh, playing behind. Um, I kind of feel that if you do go three at the back and you have to play three four one two or, or three four two one, perhaps, and then that means that. Uh, with if Harry Kane as your centre-forward and then whatever, you put Sterling or, or maybe you put Rashford with him or whatever, but then you suddenly have an issue where you need to have a wing-back who can cover the entire wing on his own and also provide the width. Do England have wing-backs with those characteristics?
2: I like Walker and Rose. I can see them doing it. But uh, we also remember when, uh, when England last started with a with a uh, sort of back three and, and wing backs was against Croatia. And it was 2006 under McLaren. And you had two very good fullbacks and, in, in Ashley Cole and Gary Neville. And they were caught out. And that, you know and they were, well, certainly Ashley Cole and my last 20 years of covering England has been England's most consistent player. And he was caught out. You look at the defenders England had there, which was Carragher, Terry and Ferdinand, who were better than anything England have got at the moment. They were caught out. By Bilic just tweaked his tactics and and got behind England's wing-backs. So, look, that's history. That was, what, nine years ago. But still, there are always lessons in history. And, you know, I do slightly worry about the system at the World Cup. I'm also slightly surprised that Southgate's been pretty adamant. This is the way forward for England. I think he probably needs two systems. I don't think it's necessarily worth sort of declaring this is the system we're going to play. So when the draw is made on December the 1st, the opposition can immediately start working on how to combat 343. I think Rashford's I mean, I'm a huge Rashford fan. I think he can play anywhere across that front three, play up front on his own if he needs to, or he can play sort of on the left or on the right. Again, the, the Deli Alley is an issue, and, and Adam Lallana, where he comes in, and he was quite adamant that it will be a 3-4-3 rather than a 3-4-1-2. Um, and we seem to be producing 10s at the moment, particularly if you look at the under seventeen, so some good potential number 10s sort of coming through. So, But as ever with England, we can talk about tactics, we can talk about technique, but Ultimately, it comes down to uh, the, the psychology and the fact that they do tend to shrink when they put the senior shirts on.
0: Henry, I need help with some, what seems to me, false logic. Gareth Southgate said, of course, in order to qualify for Russia, we had to play 4-2-3-1. Mm. But of course, going forward, we will play three at the back. I I actually genuinely don't see why you think playing 4-2-3-1 is the safe option against weaker teams and will get you there. And... And therefore you leap to thinking that when you're playing more elite opposition, you would go to three at the back. As we don't have a, se- a sense of what English football is, surely we have to rely on a system that we're very comfortable with and, and stick with it, don't we?
2: Well, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I much prefer a back four, not simply because it's the way that England players have been brought up, but I mean, you, but you... I mean, I guess more of them are playing with a, with a back three at the moment, and you would hope that they can be um, a bit more versatile. I just worry about you're choosing a system which doesn't necessarily choose, certainly in central defence, the, the, the resources. I mean, you, you look at the centre-halves that England went to um, when England's defence was actually had a fantastic tournament. I think they only conceded a goal or two. Um, was the the World Cup of two thousand and six, and you had Carragher, you had Terry, you had Ferdinand, and you had I think Sol Campbell or Ledley King. I mean, it was a really you know it was, it was a very good bunch of four centre halves. When you look at it now, if he's, I'm not I think we're going to be struggling for cover if if one of them gets injured. I like Stones. I, I, I can see the attraction of having him, particularly if he does step out into midfield more. But Maguire, I think, has got huge potential, but I think he's also got a mistake in him. I like Keane, but he he can also get caught out of it. Cahill, and if you talk to Chelsea fans, they're not completely convinced by him at the moment, and some of them would like Christensen to step up and, and, and replace him. Jones is having a good season. Just hope he stays uh, injury-free. And uh, and then Smalling as well. So there are Premier League defenders around, but I don't know. I just think England could be got out if they play... A, And then it also comes down to to, to the quality of the uh, the midfielders in front of them. That's why I hope Chalabar gets fit, gets in the squad, because I think England need that sort of protective presence. I know Henderson gets a lot of stick, but I mean, Harry Wink's you know, was deservedly praised for uh, for for yes I thought he was England's England's best player, along with Butland. So uh, but, you know, it's all about sort of defending as a as a unit as well. But I do slightly worry about the, the three of that and if you look at how Manchester City played against Chelsea when they used the uh, that their full backs, particularly Walker, to sort of come inside and, and, and attack the space between Chelsea's wing backs and the and the, the the sort of the flanking centre half, you know, the system can be got at.
1: Henry, we know you have to leave us, so thank you so much for uh, taking the time.
2: My pleasure. I'm not leaving you permanently, by the way. That sounds just because I watch England doesn't mean I'm at death's door.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm very grateful for that. Cheers, Henry. (laughs) Safe (laughs) travels. Uh, Let's go back to the uh, the 3-4-3. Henry makes, I think, a really good point to play 3-4-3. Maybe you don't need to to bring six centre-backs to the World Cup maybe you get away with bringing five plus Dyer or four plus Dyer, maybe even. What struck me is, yeah, there's more teams in England playing three at the back. However, when you look at the personnel, obviously Cahill does it, and that's fine. Stones does it sometimes, although I'd argue that the way Manchester City play under Guardiola, correct me if I'm wrong, James, is very different to the way England play under Gareth Southgate. So no doubt that affects how the back three operates as well. But then the others, Jones and Smalling don't, if you want to consider them England internationals, Harry Maguire doesn't. Michael Keane doesn't. I'm not so sure it's such a natural evolution to 3-4-3. To three, three. And I'll go further with the wingbacks. What he described there about Walker playing wingback and stepping into midfield against Chelsea for Manchester City. Yeah, that's fine because it's Manchester City. He's not going to do that for England because England have different players around them who who make different movements. Don't move at all. Sometimes don't move much. The other guy he mentioned, Danny Rose, who can cover the whole flank on his own. Right now, he ain't covering squat because he hasn't played any football in 10 months. And I think the people most likely to replace them. I really like Klein when he comes back, but he's not really a wing back either. He's more of a defensive fullback, which is great. So was Ashley Cole back in the day uh, on the other flank. Bertrand as well, not exactly a marauding fullback, although I think a very good defender. I'm not sure how joined up Southgate's thinking is here.
3: Well, he he came out and said, didn't he, that he wanted to play three at the back for an extra body in midfield, and probably if a centre half drives with the ball in midfield as well, you you can get more bodies in midfield that ultimately will helpfully make England pass the ball better. But so that has a more a, sterile
1: possession in midfield, yeah, basically <laughs> yes, I, I, exactly. So.
3: I just don't see three at the back. I don't think England are good enough for three at the back. And my massive, massive gripe for three at the back is, prime example was when Michael Keane's nearly scored an own goal. The gap between the centre-half and the middle centre-half to both his outside can be up to 30, 35 yards at, at times. If you play against a France that have a Mbappe, that have a Griezmann, that have a Dembele there, the bigger teams will just pick England off. and. You know, we'll score goals against them, and I just don't think England technically are, are good enough in possession to to dominate teams in midfield. I'm
0: amazed that this isn't getting more anger. To be quite honest, I I mean, the whole point about Southgate's um, tenure is that he understands the pressures that wearing the shirt, place upon players, particularly young ones. And he has said he's not going to ask players to do things they wouldn't do for their clubs. And it's about making sure they're all very comfortable in whatever system he chooses. So I just don't get why you, you nurture them in your first year as manager in a 4-2-3-1. Then you tell them, right, we're going to rip that up. And we've got um, Brazil and Germany next at Wembley next month. And we're going to play three at the back. Well, Does no one else think this is slightly bizarre?
3: No, but I think he's had to make a change because in England have been so limp recently and it's been so poor that you can't keep doing the same things. Now, making that change didn't make one bit of difference at all. It's the same sterile pedestrian England. So,
0: so therefore, why, why add an extra... Bit of brain space to players that are already struggling with what it means to play for Why England. Now, what
1: you're going to do in nine months' time, when the situation well, he, he, could be entirely different. Well, he doesn't know, does he?
3: That that's yeah. You know, I, I think he's gone to change it because the the home game recently when it w- was awful. The last two games, England have played against opposition that's been very poor. England goalkeeper has been the man of the match.
1: As somebody who's not English, what scares other countries when you play England is two things. One is set pieces. And the idea of big people coming up, which is still why everybody just absolutely defecated in their underwear when every time Peter Crouch came on, it's like, oh my God, it's Peter Crouch. Seriously, like, if you really want to scare people, give yourself a chance. Bring Peter Crouch along. It doesn't matter. He's 50 years old. He doesn't run. All you should do is just stand there and you're going to mess with the minds of foreign countries. I keep saying that. Nobody believes me. You think Peter Crouch is ugly and weird and deformed. And so you don't want him in you national not fine. Right. But um that's one thing the other thing that scares people is pace right because you've got players who run at people and run past them and it goes all the way back to Michael Owen and in, and in Rashford and Sterling you got people who do that if you play 3-4-3 I think you lose a lot of that and if you sacrifice it to possession in midfield what because you've got all these wonderful deep-lying creative midfielders like Dyer and Henderson did you see what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely. it makes no sense to me.
3: It's not an argument, and uh, I know Mourinho does this now and again. If you're playing against weaker opposition, which I have done in every single one of their group games, because it's it's a very very poor group that they're in, you go man for man, and if you're individually better, if you go man for man with the opposition, you should come out on top.
1: Yeah, but we're projecting forward to the World Cup, that way yeah, you won't be. It,
3: that's exactly what I'm saying. So, so you're even when you go into the group stages of the World Cup. England aren't really going to come up, well, it shouldn't come up against right. a, a decent side
1: until the quarterfinals. What about well, the psych- excuse me. No, 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 no. Sorry. This is where I raise my voice and I get stick for people saying, for people for saying, oh, you mustn't talk over people, and raise your voice. Why can't you be nice like those five lives? Now, what did you just say? You just said England aren't going to come up against decent teams in the World Cup until the quarterfinals, right? Now, this is what he just, you heard him, right, Alison? Now, maybe I should remind you who was in England's cool. group last time around at the World Cup. It was Uruguay, Italy, and Costa Rica, who you guys all thought were pants. Okay. But then they, they kind of showed that, actually, no, they're pretty darn good. Uh, Do you really, uh, would, you, would, you, would you really have wanted it, uh, so, England so you, to match you, up you man for me, man against me. Uruguay and Italy well, at, you, at the World you Cup 2014? Really? Yeah, exactly. You really think it was done. a good, good idea? So
3: you, you tell me how many Italy players get getting the England side now.
1: If I were the manager?
3: Yeah. You tell me. Okay. All right. Your knowledge is all right. very good of Italy.
1: Oh, yeah, it certainly
3: is, yeah. So my combined would you Uruguay, would you have Cavani instead
1: of Harry Kane? I would you have Suarez instead of Harry Kane? Do you want me to stick the entire Liverpool fan base on you? And the Barcelona Of course I'd have Suarez and would have I'd have yeah. them alongside each other. You don't need to play one striker.
3: Can't okay, you tell me an Italian player that's getting in the England side at the moment?
1: Okay, I think uh, Gigi Buffon would get in the England side. I think Bonucci really? would get in the England side. I think Chiellini would get in the England side. I think Verratti would get in the England side. I think Bellotti would get in the England side. I think Insigne would get in the England side.
3: Like, Italy might not even be going to the World Cup as
1: yet. Yeah, exactly, so exactly. They're exactly, that good.
0: Exactly. No, exactly. Yeah, oh, sorry,
1: we're, we're with Spain. <laughs> you're with Slovakia and <laughs> the Seven Dwarves. Okay, fine. We need to detour over to, uh, to, to Scotland um, because we're joined on the line by uh, by Graham Spears. Graham, how are you doing?
4: Hi, Gab. I'm fine. Well, I'm a bit depressed actually, but I'm okay. How are you?
1: Uh, we're, we're 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 good. <laughs> we're we're all right. excited. By Gareth Southgate's uh, uh, three at the back. I, I feel like I don't know. Halfway through qualifying, there was sort of this deep depression that you were going in again. Viewed from the outside, you were going nowhere. But you kind of ended this this group on a high. I mean, other than the, the draw with Slovenia. But other than
0: the big low. <laughs> it was a high. <laughs> no, but
1: the results leading up to it all of a sudden seemed to improve. Am I wrong?
0: Yeah.
4: Well, I mean, in the campaign, we got off to a terrible start. We drew it home with, against Lithuania at Hampden, and we were lucky to do that. We got an equaliser in the 89th minute. Then we went to Slovakia, and we got um, slaughtered 3-0 over there, and that was thoroughly merited. And then England beat us at Wembley. So we had something like, uh, we had three points from, from our opening 12, or something like that. Um, and we were, we were struggling. But yeah, we, we picked up momentum. But I think Gordon Strachan was a bit lucky. We, we got a last-minute goal at home against uh, Slovenia. We got a last-minute goal at home against Slovakia. Uh, we had a good away win against Lithuania. So it all came down to last night. We needed to go to Ljubljana, and get a win against Slovenia, which would have guaranteed us second spot in the group and a playoff. But, but too many failings and um, capitulations early in the campaign. The, these were the undoing of Scotland and Gordon Strachan.
1: It strikes me. I mean, this is probably a familiar tone. When, when you're talking about a small country, and by the way, Graham, just so you know, I'm much more at the nature end of the scale than the nurture end. You're talking about a small country. You're talking about a, a not so large pool of players. You can, to some degree, you know, and you have done in the past, found Scottish grandparents for Matt Elliott and stuff like that. Um, there's only so much you can do. I mean, star players are outliers. And if you don't have that, those two or three and you're a nation the size of Scotland, there's only so much Gordon Strachan can do, or, or indeed the SFA. Is that fair? Am I being too kind to, to, to the little man and, and his employer?
4: Well, I mean, I, on that score, I've got no illusions about the limitations we have. I mean, we, we now, as a country, Scotland, which was once a great football country, once a really great football country, the land of um, Dennis Law and Graham Souness and Jimmy Johnston, 20 years without getting to an international finals. So something is deeply wrong. There's a systemic failure, and you cannot gloss over that. Gab, of course you're right. We're a country of four and a half million people. We are a small country. We've got a small pool of players to call upon. But here's the thing. Wales is a small country. Slovakia is a small country. Northern Ireland is an extremely small country. Iceland is a small country. Iceland has a population roughly the same size as the population of Edinburgh. Small country syndrome has not stopped these countries from getting to major finals so why does it only apply to us?
0: Was it a huge gaffe, Graham, that that Strachan started talking about genetics? Maybe Iceland are the size of, uh, as you say, Edinburgh, but you know, they're all very, very very clearly very genetically advanced, tall, muscular, yeah good personality. Well, what's he, wrong what's wrong with the Scots innately that they can't put a football team together? Yeah, being tall well,
1: and muscular has really helped Norway produce great footballers, that, footballers, hasn't
0: it? But it's
4: interesting you should raise that genetics issue because I, I, I was um I'm immediately like we all are, we, you know, you're totally ill at ease when football people start talking about genetics. You just you just know they won't be qualified to talk about it. You know it sounds a bit dodgy. It just doesn't sound right. However, when I mentioned this so-called gaffe by Gordon Strachan about genetics to my wife last night, who's a doctor, she surprised me by saying, well, well he might, there might be something in it. And I said, you're kidding. And she said, no, no, genetics is linked to diet and the health of a nation, the physical health of a nation. She said Scotland historically has an atrocious health record of eating and smoking and drinking. And she, and she said to me, it might not be ridiculous. That there may be a link between the health of Scotland and its atrocious cardio and nutritional record and the genetics within the country. But Scotland does not have a microgenetics gene pool where our genetics are different from Northern Ireland or Wales or England or anyone else. But there could conceivably be some connection between the physiological health of the nation, diet, and everything else, which in Scottish terms has been downright atrocious, and our ability today to, to produce great sportsmen, I there might be some kind of complicated link somewhere there, there that's didn't, all I'm saying.
1: Didn't you have the same gene pool in the, in the 80s when, when you were producing Dog Leash and soonis and those guys? I
4: presume we did, but I don't, I, I'm not... am not a, And I would an imagine episode. there was
1: probably... Listen, the gene pool argument strikes me as bizarre, and the, the little people argument strikes me even more bizarre because, of course, Chile are one of the best teams in the world, uh, yes. although, using the Skullcroft element, they may not qualify for the World Cup, So, but whatever. Yeah. But they won the Copa America, and they're all little people. Um, can it not just simply be randomness and the fact that stars are born randomly? And, look, if Gareth Bale did not exist... Wales would not be going to the Euro. They wouldn't have gone to the last Euros. They wouldn't be going to this World Cup, right?
4: Absolutely. I know we can only
1: take it so far.
4: But it is a fact that in the 1960s, we had little men who were the best in the world. I'll give you two examples, Jimmy Johnson and Willie Henderson. So the Scottish wee man, the wee man of the past, reigned supreme and was brilliant. But, Gab, it's beyond dispute now, I think, that what we find now is when Scotland clubs and the national team lines up to play games now, more and more, my anecdotal evidence is that we are playing physically much bigger teams. And that's all I would say. We're, we're playing much bigger teams where countries do what Scotland doesn't do. They produce, uh, they produce players who are six foot three, who are brilliant, skillful Technical players in Scotland, if you're six foot three, you can only be a centre back. But in other countries, we <laughs> seem, diver- seem to have diversified. It's that we need to catch up on. I think among the myriad other problems that have led to, to our, yeah. our footballing downfall.
1: That's a, it's funny because I always used to think of, you know the last Scotland team, I guess '98, qualified for the World Cup. I always imagined that to be a team of little teeny tiny elves and and big people but not just at the back I remember you know Craig Burley and stuff and it yeah. seemed like Paul Lambert was the only average sized person on the team yeah. Yeah. and everybody else was was, was, was I, think, I
3: think he makes a good point it's true but the game in the last 20 years has physically moved on to, to the, the, the six-foot midfield player now that you see yeah. in the Premier League, without doubt, and I'm not sure Scotland have. And if you look at a lot of the success that's coming with England, the younger age groups, and everyone's crowing about them at the moment, they're getting a lot of success <laughs> because physically yeah. they're more advanced than that, or they, they play yeah. the, the physically more advanced players.
1: I read a piece about this, and this might be something Scotland might want to invest in, is playing mm. the FIFA rankings game so that you get seated in higher pots. Mm. Um you know you i miss you you were pot 4 right
4: yes i think we were yeah
1: pot 4 and even though this is this this was you say it was an easier group it could have been a much tougher group mm-hmm. um, northern ireland have uh, have done really well in in their draws and they've done whether by design or not certainly switzerland was the ultimate case of people who they went and james gearbrandt wrote a piece about it for us maybe like a month ago mm-hmm. where they went and they hired some mathematics nerd who said wait a minute you guys mm-hmm. are doing this all wrong in your friendlies, this is who you should play, um, and this is where you should play them. And if yeah. you can do that, you will move up the rankings. Because that also makes such a difference. And then that has a knock-on effect, because then Northern Ireland you know, go to the Euros where they can put 10 guys behind the ball, and, 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 and they get points, and they move up, and it's worth more. And, and, and it kind of becomes almost self-fulfilling. I've
4: been in a difficult group here. I've read many times that Northern Ireland in the last campaign, had a, had a kind of easier group. I don't know if that's true or not. But, but Gab, the thing, the, thing, the thing we're dealing with in Scotland, I take all these arguments, all these things you're mentioning, we have had in Scotland catastrophic football decline. It's a bit like the great shipbuilding industry we once had in Scotland, decline. Coal mining, decline. Production of great football players, decline. Now, you can go through this campaign Euro 16 campaign this and that can you actually go through all 10 of them from 1998 and say oh well you know we, we might have made it the the, the the overwhelming evidence is there has been catastrophic decline in Scottish football we're all groping around trying to find out how to fix it what to do and the latest tweeze is genetics how, how much genetics.
3: is uh, sorry how much is the, the television money got to do with that
4: well, I mean, as you know, we are absolutely the, the, the impoverished uh, relation when it comes to football money. With like kind of black humour in Scotland, it's often pointed out that Gary Lineker earns more presenting match of the day than the whole of Scottish football gets for, for certain TV deals. That, you know, we get. You know, it's, so we get, we get peanuts. So that, that is one of the things. I mean, all, all I can say is that when I was a little kid, I played football six nights a week, in the street, and all my friends did. And now we've got a guy like Andy Murray, who's a great tennis player. And in one way, even though I love football, there's a part of me that says, you know, I want Scotland to be have a healthier, more multi-sport outlook. My little boys want to play rugby and tennis and badminton. I never, ever imagined asking my dad in the 70s, can we go out and play badminton? <laughs> all, I wanted to do, all I wanted to do was <laughs> play football. So, you know, in one way... We're more multifaceted in Scotland. We play multi-sports. And in one way, we're a healthier nation for that regard. But the, but the, the guy the guy who's taking it in the pit of his stomach is football. It's football's loss, and we're, we're trying to work out how to fix it. And it's all the more galling when we look at Wales and Northern Ireland uh, getting to these finals, and we still can't do it.
1: Graham, two things. One is, do you think Gordon Strachan's going to stick around? And B, can you leave us with some positive, some reason to hope if you're a Scottish football fan?
4: Um, gosh, Gab, yeah, that, that's a tough uh, tough question. I, I, on the Gordon Strachan issue, it's a hot topic here in our media and among the fans. Does he deserve to go on or does he not?
1: Does he want to as well?
4: Yeah, well, he, he might not want to. There's a lot of the job he's quite enjoyed, but if you go on the old line that two strikes and you're out, two failures and you're out, I mean, Euro 2016, we finished fourth in our group. And I think that was a bad failure by Gordon Strachan. We could have got ahead of Ireland. It was almost impossible. You know the way this, it was structured for Euro 2016? If you finished third in the group, third in the group, you still got into playoff. It was almost impossible for Scotland not to make it. But we managed to finish fourth and not make it. And now he's failed um, in this World Cup qualifying campaign. So I think Gordon Strachan should step aside, give another guy a shot. On the terms of green shoots of recovery, I'm afraid I I don't see any uh, new stars coming along. So we we need a clever, improvised coach bringing in new ideas who can make it work. And I hope that guy is out there somewhere.
0: It's easy to sack Gordon Strachan, though, isn't it? You just say, Gordon, you're not genetically predisposed to win anything. (laughs) iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.
4: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
1: Alright, I'm gonna throw this out there. There was there was an article in in The Guardian on Saturday where which looked at sort of the, the cost of high quality youth development, the, the human cost. In other words, kids who Sign with Premier League academies, and then they don't get offered a deal at sixteen, or they don't get offered a deal at uh, um, at eighteen, and then they become they become depressed, and they haven't gone to school in the meantime, so they do worse, and or they haven't gone to, to real school; they've gone to you know football academy play school. Um, I wanted to submit to you, James, that what makes a country's football great, and what is good for developing professional footballers, isn't always good for developing kids and there's always going to be this tension that the system the way it's set up now might be ideal to produce potential professional footballers but maybe it doesn't do much good for the kids who don't make it who are obviously the vast vast majority is that fair and then that there's a there, there's a trade-off there
3: no I don't, I don't think it is fair i don't, I don't <laughs> it's, it's very easy to say this kid. All his problems in life are down because he was in the academy and he didn't get taken on. It's too easy to say that. Too easy, and I think you'll find it's not what
1: I'm saying, but is what is implied in this article. But go ahead. Having worked in
3: an academy and seen the effect it has on kids, and, and, and I've seen it firsthand, and not only the kids, that the parents as well that are, are just as heartbroken. Really, I just think disappointment is part of life, and I see a lot of players now. If, you, if you're going to make it in football, the one thing that you can guarantee that will happen in football is disappointment. You know, if that's, you're a pro player a semi-pro player, at some stage you're going to experience disappointment big disappointment of that as well. It's how you react, it's how these kids re- react and, and I just don't think it's the academies around yeah. them
1: I completely agree with you on the disappointment point I wanted to become, as a kid I wanted to become one of those sort of award winning writers who writes for the New Yorker and writes three stories a year and and, and, and write serious books. I didn't get that, and I was disappointed. Um, you know, maybe you wanted to win a World Cup. Maybe you had other dreams too, Alice, and, and that's disappointment's part of life. It happens in every walk of life. What I think is is valid here is that pursuing football via an academy, there's an opportunity cost, right? Because I think I read in the piece that these kids, they, they train four times a week, and, you know, if you factor in travel time and, and whatnot... They're probably devoting, what, 12 hours a week plus games on weekends? It's
3: at least, yeah.
1: And that's that's starting at what age?
3: Uh, uh, Very young, nine. Okay.
1: So if my nine-year-old is spending, again, between games and travel time, 16 hours a week playing football and, and, and training, that is time that they're not devoting to other things, which is obviously schoolwork, friends, other interests they may have, it can stunt, well, let, let it, it can stunt your development. Well, let right? me stop
3: you there. Okay, so you're saying to, f- to friends, they're going to make friends in the academy. So that's not really an argument. The academy's them a structure. Maybe,
1: maybe they'll go volunteer with senior citizens and help them do their shopping. Maybe. Maybe they'll join a church group. Possibly. Maybe be. they'll be in the combined cadet force and do youth military If, things, if we take
3: we? inner cities, so we take London, for example... I think academies do very well. I think they educate these 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 kids in a, in a lot of things, not just football. In the E Triple P now, part of it is their schooling. They have a psychologist that, that that's there. What
1: what 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 schooling? I I don't know. I guess I don't know if the program's near enough, if it's been there. But how many of these people? Let's say you have a very clever academic kid. Yeah. He's not going to get the same schooling. Well, well for example, that he's going for, for example,
3: so category one category one mm-hmm. club at fourteen, most of them will put their, their their pupils in private schools who, who would never, never get an opportunity to go to a private school. But you're Most talking
1: specifically do. about the opportunities that are afforded. And actually, and, and this is, I think, is an interesting point you're talking about. It works very well for people who wouldn't otherwise have those schooling opportunities. But then what happens to and the kid? No, no, hang on. Again. Okay, so let's take the kid from the disadvantaged background because that's what what people always bring up. So he gets to be 16, so he gets, he joins the, the academy and he's in the private school. And then at 16, he's released from the academy. Does he, is there a commitment that, that he can continue at the private school and the academy keeps paying for him? No. Or does he go back to the the crummy school back home in his neighborhood?
3: He would go back to his neighborhood, but surely there, there's an argument to say that his education that he's had over the last two, three years is better than what he would have done.
0: Alison? i Find it hard to believe how how many of these kids are sent to good private schools.
3: Hundreds of them are. Hundreds. Yeah, literally hundreds. And of them. do they
0: have to reach an academic standard no, to go? No,
3: it's part of the. Um, it's most cat one.
0: So if they don't have to reach an academic standard to go to the private school, no, they're so not cl- going to fit so, in at the private school. No,
3: so a club a club will have a time of a private school. Um, and what they'll do, they'll go there, they'll probably lodge there as well, so they'll go training in the morning and they'll go to the private school in the afternoon and have
1: a dedicated, dedicated teacher that will teach them. Okay, so, so that's, that's an entirely normal school experience, right? Do they go to the school and it becomes like a little... I didn't realize so it. becomes like same, a little... They get the ghetto.
3: same hours of education that a normal child Yeah, but they're in get. the
1: class with all the other kids from the football. I assume the normal children go to school yes in the morning, no. not in the afternoon. Yes
3: and no. I don't so know. Some, some classes are mixed. Some some classes are with the football children.
1: I, I don't know that that's necessarily a normal... I mean... Hey, I didn't go to no, so I, I, I didn't normal. go to English private school. Did you? I, I mean, tell me that that's not normal, right? They're, so they're in a little ghetto within within their private school, basically. It
0: proves well what, what James is saying proves that the elite program values education and they're trying oh, to make hard. sure it's not it, it, it's you would they're not not believe. churning out kids that have completely neglected their no. their ability to do maths and, and English have an, and, and have so an an on. But it still plan. doesn't. The, the central point that Gab was getting at was that you're still creating a world. That isn't um, the average world for a kid. And if they're dumped from it, they have to cope with what they're left with. And I would suggest that though it's lovely at the time, perhaps, I don't know, to be sent to a private school, even though you're probably not very bright, but they feel you ought to go. Your life and your timetable and the way you feel about what you want to achieve each week if you cut all that by being rejected, it will leave you in a very because peculiar, a very these. peculiar place because you haven't had a normal childhood, and the people that you're going to now be hanging out with will have such different experiences, and you will feel labelled a failure. Where they're still growing and learning what they can become, you've got nothing left. Is no, I surely the problem? I,
3: t- I totally disagree with that, and I, I'm not sure what is a normal childhood. How, how you how you how you judge that? I think academies give a wonderful structure to, to kids to come in. Um, they're very. They learn not only the football, but the discipline that that's shown in academies. You don't get in school. A lot of them don't get in homes. Um, most clubs have to have an exit plan, so they don't just kick them out. They they work with the kids to to try and find education or or a, a grassroots club for them to go into. Going back to the disappointment factor. Kids will get disappointment. They'll get disappointment in their, in their school grades.
1: How, we'll how, we leave the disappointment because I think we're all in agreement on the
3: disappointment factor. No, no, but that, that's the whole point. Of of the, the thing is, is, oh, how do kids... Yes, I know, well, and some guy act. committed
1: suicide and, and it's sad and, and it could and be a million awful, factors. It's right? all but terrible. Kids but kids do commit but, other no, suicide no, I, for, I, I, But I am wondering about whether the system, as it's geared, and I think, you know, this is an angel bugbear of mine, is if you go to other countries in Europe, let alone South America... Professional footballers come from all sorts of backgrounds. Here in England, and I know it's changing and people will mention James Ward Prowse because he has a double-barreled last name, I guess, or whatever. I'd argue, until very recently, 99.9% of professional footballers came from working-class backgrounds or lowers. It was really difficult for middle-class kids, let alone upper-class kids.
3: Where's your evidence based on that?
1: Okay, how many footballers with the exception and before you mentioned Frank Lampard with the exception of ones whose parents were were professional footballers how many footballers have you met who you would describe as upper middle class um, in background
3: more than you think
1: can you just name them? i know i know i, I have no well, problem. You know, no why why what, why? what, what
3: do you it? describe as upper middle
1: class what what's white collar parents abc1
3: what, that come if you from prefer
1: privately that. educated, not say privately. look, like, this is a country that's obsessed with class, right? People whose parents are doctors and solicitors and bankers and things like that. Uh, and I, I mean, I think part of the reason, actually, part of the the historic underachievement, and Simon Cooper actually pointed this out as well in England, is that your football playing population, or the ones which actually had a pathway in, was actually limited to to not fifty million English people, but probably twenty five thirty million because there's a lot of people who just because of the way the system is find it very difficult to combine studies as a plan B and playing high level football. certain entire categories of people simply did not historically have a pathway into football
3: if, if you can, who was the
1: poshest person you were who was in your team in your in your academy team at ipswich? It was you, wasn't it? No, I'm serious possibly exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but
3: the private right? schools
1: don't really play football, so you can't. So you have entire populations of people who don't get into the system, whereas in other countries, but that's not football's fault. You can, no, you can't, you can't. no. But let's hang blame on. football again. I'm let's not, blame no. The, no. But what I'm saying is, in other countries, you have situations where you can play you You can go to a very good school, go to a fancy school you, without being particularly clever, but you can go to fancy school and be on a pathway for business class oriented success, and also play football to a very high level at youth level and that's something which i from from we had this conversation with Matt Dickinson a while ago that 's something that they're trying to change in England, but it's still very much very much is, a process
0: it is it is it but is changing there are it? there are some schools which have it's not dedica- good, we're dedication. You know, there are some private schools that have good academic sta really good academic sta- standards and they have academy structures so they have links to the local football clubs and they make sure that the fa are happy with the way that they run so in a sense they are an academy within a school to so the kids do not have to travel to training and for um physio work but this is new. and coaching. It's been going Was no, it's it, 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 this this all started about five, five, six, seven years right. ago so and, I would it's gro- argue, and it's growing. I
1: would argue it's new and we're only gonna see the results of this in a few years.
0: Yeah, well, on every level it makes sense, doesn't it? If you can study and learn football without those long, long trips. I mean yeah, and it what it does to the family as well. If you do, if you invest in a kid that you think's going to succeed and it requires four hours commuting three or four times a week, eating in the car, no time to do homework because you think your kid might have what it takes to be a success at.
1: And when the kid's 14 Stoke and if you know Liverpool, basic, whatever, and if you can do basic maths, you figure out that the chances of him of, of him or her making it are, are so tiny, you're going to head your bet and say, no, actually, you're going to go to school so that you can go to university so that you've got a plan B if it doesn't work out. So, so there's no to to make it as a professional footballer, you do need to put the
3: hours of practice. It is not, it's not going to come from an hour a week. of hours, right? Well, (laughs) (laughs) you do need to put the hours in. If you go to university, like you say, if you go to university, is there a guarantee that you're going to end up with a top job? No.
1: You know, but your odds are simply are, are going to be substantially better. You're higher if you better. go into a, uh,
3: into a football academy and, or if you don't go into a football they academy. They
1: are much higher, but the odds of making it as a professional footballer are, are much, much smaller than the odds of having a decent job if you go to university. I mean, I think this is just, just pure math. There's just more decent jobs out there than there are Premier League jobs for English people. I mean, on a societal level, when people say the FA should do more, right, Should the F.A. put more money into elite youth development or should it put more money into development Uh, for all over 40s women, blind people, amputees, just simply recreational football? I mean, these are basic. These are basic choices that people make. Right. Right. I
3: think what they should do, and I know for a the fact they do it in France, is that the the gap between academies now and grassroots football is, is very, very big. So they need to put more money into grassroots football to make. So if you do get released at 12 or it's 14, that you can you go into go right a, in. a very, very good grassroots.
1: I'm completely surprised at that. We need to move on because guess what? It's time for quick hits. Mehran Fellaini picks up an injury in Belgium's 4 win in Bosnia and will be out for a few weeks. That means he'll miss the clash with Liverpool this weekend. Skoe, given that Carrick and Pogba are already out, are you worried yet? Baloney's
3: a big miss. He's been a, an integral part of Manchester United uh, in recent weeks, scoring some crucial goals. He will be a big blow in that game. And it's I terrified. think yeah, a
1: little bit. Mohamed Salah scores a last-ditch penalty to send Egypt to their first World Cup since 1990, which, given that they won four African Cup of Nations in that time frame, is pretty darn remarkable. Alison? Are you ready to anoint him as the Premier League newcomer of the summer?
0: Uh, maybe I. Th- oh, there's something. On. There's something. There's
1: something magical about Salah. There's Sala.
0: something frustrating about him, in that I know he can be better than that. There's so many instances in which he gets there where most other players wouldn't get there to the goal-scoring position. All it needs is a simple pass to set up the goal, and it's as if the oxygen has left his brain, and he still. Makes too many of the wrong decisions, but overall, yeah, yeah, he's had a he's had a great um, few months.
1: Scores a penalty with all the pressure in the world on him in the fifth minute of injury time. That's pretty impressive. Wales host the Republic of Ireland in what could well amount to a playoff to reach the playoffs. Scoey you're a neutral. You don't have any Welsh or Irish in you, do you? Not good. You're entirely impartial here. Not who do you think will win? Who would you rather see at the World Cup? Who do you like more, the Welsh or the Irish?
3: Uh, that's a difficult question I'd go for Wales I think Wales play slightly better
1: football more attractive to watch do you like Chris Coleman more than Martin O'Neill
3: I'm not really I'm not not a fan or or dislike any of them I just think Wales are you must have played
1: against Chris Coleman I have played against Chris Coleman yes he did kick me Um, (laughs) (laughs) Cristiano Ronaldo comes on and scores against Andorra to bring his all-time goal scoring total to 70 Um, or maybe 78 actually Maybe it's more than I don't know. It's a law. Anyway, um, said <laughs> <Laser Allison, goals. laughs> he's joint for all time. And I'm going to name some names here alongside Godfrey Chitalu of Zambia. He's behind Japan's Kunishige Kumamoto, Hungary's Frank Pushkash and Iran's Ali Dai. Do these numbers mean anything or is it all apples and oranges, given it's international football?
0: Yeah, well, clearly you've 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 named players that didn't do as much as uh, Cristiano's done on the trophy front um for his club but and for all country. for all his glitz glamour and the stuff about him as an icon and his self-awareness as someone who should be fated basically he's reliable and he delivers and that's what those figures mean is that he turns up and plays for his country and he's reliable and you can't ask for more than
1: that he's not far behind Pushkas and I'm pretty sure he will retire as Europe's greatest ever international goal scorer. which I still think is, is is still pretty pretty darn remarkable. Your a player. Does Eusebio count as European given he was born in Mozambique? Your argument would be would be Cruyff, right? That that would be You'd have to put Ronaldo in front of person course. in the conversation, right? Yeah. Possibly. The six biggest Premier League clubs want a bigger share of Premier League overseas TV money, which is currently shared out equally, unlike domestic TV revenue, which is merit-based, albeit with a very egalitarian factor of 1.5 to 1. Scully, do the big boys have a point, or are they just being greedy?
3: I think they're being both. I think they do have a point. I think they're also being greedy. Let's be honest, a lot of people globally want to turn in and watch Manchester United, and they don't really want to watch anyone else, so hand so, the,
1: the money over so they're not greedy they have a point it, it, I mean a club like Manchester United spends a ton of money becoming an established Premier League brand around the world blah 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 especially now that the overseas contract is so big Huddersfield get promoted six months ago and they look we're going to get an equal share to United exactly. that's the part that's you know I know they're all about greed but they kind of have a point in some ways Mesut Ozil keeps getting linked with a January move away from the Arsenal. Alisson, would you just cash in on him? Or would you rather let him go on a free in the summer and hope that he contributes something between now and June?
0: You need more than hope that he contributes. There's nothing wrong in principle in letting a player see out his contract if you feel in that time period he is an asset. But I don't see any evidence that Ozil is growing. It looks to me like he is, he is personally ready for a change. So in that case, you may as well cash in in January. And I have a question for you, Gab. Ooh. Are we really in danger of there being a World Cup with no Lionel Messi in it?
1: Indeed we are. And Tuesday night, absolutely huge Argentina are going to Ecuador, um, where they have, uh, they've won just once in their last 10 attempts. And uh, uh, they basically they need to win this game to be guaranteed a spot at the World Cup. A draw... Would leave them dependent on a whole bunch of other results if you're in the scepter dial i invite you all to find somebody under the age of 30 who can show you how to do it and stay up and watch this because i really think it's going to be an epic night of south american qualifying um brazil still are the only team entirely mathematically guaranteed of going and there's another seven teams scrambling for the three automatic spots and the playoff spot i'll say this about messi in qualifying argentina played 17 games Messi's played in nine of them. In those nine games, they gained 18 points. In uh, the eight games that he has not played, they've only gained seven points. And I think when people question Messi, uh, I think there's your answer right there. Argentina are really bad without him. That's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my excellent guests, Graham Spears, Henry Winter, Allison Rudd, and James Scowcroft. Uh, Remember, it's just £8 for an eight-week trial. You can search The Times online and from this season, you can access highlights of every single game in the Premier League, Champions League and Europa League and also from the third round, the FA Cup. The Premier League returns and uh, so shall the podcast next Monday, although I won't be here. I am taking a week off. So there, haha. We'll be looking back at, among other things, Liverpool against Manchester United. The game is brought to you
3: by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.
0: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
3: VoiceOver on settings.
0: So you can navigate it just by listening.
3: Books, Contacts, Calendar. Double tap to open breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11
0: and get on with your day accessibility there's more to iPhone